<laughs> yeah, get on your back. Let somebody do a rail off your belly. This is <laughs> it's General Hospital writer's room. Shut up. Wait a minute. You're dead. You'll be dead for 30 years. I think it played well for kids and adults. Kind of in the same era, probably was when dinosaurs came out. If you remember the, uh, not the, the mama. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I, I I was probably nineteen twenty when that came out, and my younger brothers were watching it who were still in school. My mom was watching it. We were all smoking weed. It was great. What the fuck was wrong with the nineties? The music kind of sucked. <laughs> Occasionally, you'd like you take a step back and just think about specifically dinosaurs, and you're like, "What the fuck? Like in in what world is that not just a cartoon? Like fucking animated and save." A million dollars. <laughs> they were desperately trying to keep the Henson Company afloat. If if that show hadn't been on television, we might not have a sequel to The Dark Crystal, and we probably shouldn't have a sequel to The Dark Crystal coming out on Netflix now. Oh, we can only make so many Skeksis. <laughs> uh, that Dark Crystal, it seems like it's being positively reviewed. Yeah, I, I'm actually very interested. I, I yeah. mean, I love the first movie... As a construct, I mean, it, the 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 parts I enjoyed it. The story didn't mean squat to me, and uh, it wasn't compelling. But the art design was so amazing that it carried it through. That is kind of how I feel with most of those '80s, '90s puppet and animatronic-driven movies. Where I'm like, I couldn't give two shits about any of the characters, but I remember like Skeksis and Wheelers. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, David Bowie's crotch. God, who could forget it? Speaking of animatronic, animated. I'm going to edit in three minutes of deep breathing. <laughs> uh, speaking of... 90s nostalgia revivals that we were very excited for, or I am very excited. You're listening to Boo Ha Ha, <laughs> a mostly weekly podcast that is ostensibly about ghosts, but more often than not is about tangents and my mom's haunted castle or whatever. This week, my guest is Michael Garcia. Hey everybody! Nice to see you again. Welcome back. You're you are. This is the three peat. Yeah. Um, we've brought you back a little bit ahead of schedule because this is a special episode. We're going to be talking about addiction. Oh no! Is that next? Never. Okay. No. What? Sorry. What, different episode. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> we're, this, this, I did not know this was my intervention and all of your listeners were in, invited. Oh, I spoiled it. Sorry, guys. No, so we've, we've brought you back because on your previous appearances in this podcast, you have said multiple times that you are going to stop at nothing to turn it into a movie podcast. And this episode is going to be a movie podcast. You know, I had already planned to make a big statement how I was going to make this episode the movie podcast. So I'm, I'm glad you're already on board. In Let fact, me... I am now the host. So thank you for joining us, Avalon. 
<laughs> what oh. did you think about scary stories we tell in the dark? I don't know. What's the title of it? Boo ha ha. Hello, everybody. This is Boo Ha Ha, a mostly weekly podcast where we review movies and talk to Avalon exclusively. Emily, help. It's happening to me now. <laughs> this is how easy it is to lose a podcast. So, yeah, this is this is going to be a special episode where we are going to talk about spooks and boogahs, but specifically in the form of the recently released hit summer blockbuster, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Was it a hit? Is it doing well? I feel like it's doing pretty good. It probably warrants looking up on. Yeah, I sure hope so, because I enjoyed it quite a bit. So just as a bit of background, I know that this book was not necessarily an integral part of your life in any way, but every childhood fear that's lasted over into my adulthood stems from that book <laughs> yeah so we went into the movie with entirely different expectations I, I had no experience whatsoever with the source material i had heard the the title and probably seen some of the um, illustrations over the years but i was unfamiliar with any of the stories so going in blind really did let me enjoy it as a film where I didn't have any expectations or any intellectual requirement. Sure. And as a consummate curmudgeon, increasingly a consummate curmudgeon, I went in with... <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. But oh, no. Go on. <laughs> uh, no, so I, I went in with high hopes but low expectations. So I went in expecting a pile of hot garbage. I was hoping that maybe there would be some fun visuals and I'd get to see a couple of my childhood nightmares, you know, in motion. Sure. But ultimately I was really pretty pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, so this was your Lord of the Rings. Uh, yes, essentially though that's bleak. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I went into the Lord of the Rings with no expectations and uh came out pretty good. I mean, self-indulgent, but so were the novels. Sure. Let's see fucking 25 pages of Tom Bombadil and Elf song. But yeah, so I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I have some minor quibbles with it, but I think I think we'll get into that. Uh, what were your th as as the 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 crankiest movie guy that I know? I feel like you you have incredibly high standards for film. Okay, so um, I did go in being familiar with the director who did the fantastic Troll Hunter kind of uh, faux documentary of troll hunting, uh, Eastern European thing, which I thought was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. The humor had landed, and I thought it was well-directed. And the um, monster design in Troll Hunter uh, had this really old-world kind of sketchy feel to the monsters. They looked like they had come out of books that had been written in the 40s or 50s, like those kind of old troll illustrations. Yeah. So I had gone in simply with the hope that he would be able to bring those sensibilities to this. And I felt that landed to, for the most part. It was very well directed, probably a little glossier than I like a, a horror film to be. A lot of bright colors. Things were far cleaner than they probably should have been. There were a number of points where the brother-in-law from Breaking Bad <laughs> was oh, right. sitting around in like a boiler suit or something. And I'm like... Why isn't that covered in oil and grime? 
Yeah, and he was so down. I Maybe because he just wasn't getting hours, and Burr. that's why it wasn't covered in oil and grime. Later in the movie, he tells his daughter that he has to leave because he has to pick up shifts. That's true. Can't it's, turn him down. It's a brand new boiler suit. And he's like, you know, there's not going to be even another sequel to Breaking Bad, so I got to take every shift I can get. They called Saul, but they didn't call me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so again that small quibble and initially the humor between the kids felt a little wacky and so i thought we were getting into a uh wish upon kind of territory where it was going to be <laughs> unexpectedly good bad shout um, out to the best movie of the last three years oh, wish so upon <laughs> wish upon is fantastic if you guys haven't seen it drop the books you're reading and go watch the movie check it out nerds and, and just be ready yeah. just be ready it started out feeling a, a little uh, uh loosey-goosey dialogue wise but as the characters start being introduced the humor really starts to gel and I kind of cared about him and this movie has stakes not everybody makes it yeah it was probably the most I think there's a couple of impressive hurdles here and first to your point I will say the glossiness was a bit of an issue for me too there's a look that movies get when um, Guillermo del Toro rubs his dick on him a little bit of Crimson Peak and this just had a little bit of that Crimson Peak smegma in the cracks balanced out by great direction. I feel like that took a lot of the power away from Guillermo del Toro, who is garbage, and we've given him too much power as a society. Yeah, I think that this movie managed a couple of pretty impressive hurdles. The first being making those kids and the interactions between them compelling. There was a point probably 15 minutes in where the the goofy goon kid said something funny, and I, I found myself laughing. I'm like, oh, huh, I didn't expect that. Well, if we're going to talk about uh, laughing, there, there's an actor, Austin Zizur, Zager, I'm not sure what his name Steve was. Steve Zissou. Uh, the one who played Chuck. That kid is so damn funny in almost every scene he's in, he carried the movie for me. I, I really, was, was, it, it was delightful. And he had my probably the scariest sequence of, of all the stories. Yeah. Me. It's definitely the 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 quote unquote comic relief kid, which is normally a role that's so it either skews annoying or it skews too goofy or, you know, they really hit the nail on the head pretty impressively with him and his dialogue. Yeah. And I think one of the things that helps with that, as long as we're talking about these kind of movies, is you can't load all of the uh, comedy um, um weight onto one character although he's clearly the comic comic relief everybody else has wry or witty lines to drop there's some interactions between them and uh, it, it balances it out a little it, it makes the dialogue feel a little more real because when you have three serious people and one comic relief character it doesn't feel like real life interaction yeah i mean and some tilly on star trek discovery oh Poor Tilly. Sorry, Tilly. But yeah, so I, I had said it had the movie had two pretty impressive hurdles that it cleared. The first one being the interaction between the kids and actually making them kind of likable and funny. The second one being actually making it kind of scary. 
again, um, Chuck's sequence got under my skin dramatically. Like my hackles were coming up on the back of my neck. And and for that effect to hit me in the theater, it takes even a little bit more because uh, the crowd around you takes away from, well, from, from real terror, I think. And especially when that crowd is a series of... Hobgoblins and orcs? You want to talk about boogans and goo-gahs. <laughs> like, everyone else in that theater, gas leaks and donkeys kicking people in the head. It was like a series of cognitive injuries and just loud crunching. And well, one... people were shouting back and forth to each other. Yeah, and the, but the fact that, like, it was like a weird bird song call and response where that woman to the left of us just kept going, womp, womp, every time there was a lull in anything. And then a dude... A couple rows back and to the right of us just kept going, what the? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? At one point, they were going back and forth, and it felt like we were listening to the great white trash mating call. Jesus. So ultimately, if you live in Portland, don't go to Eastport 16 unless you want an orgy. Jesus Christ. I can't even begin to tell you how much I hate movie theaters. Womp womp. But yeah, so for that scene to still be effective while being surrounded by a series of cackling ghouls, great. Yeah, and and I do want to also make a uh, kind of apples-to-apples comparison with uh, It Part 1, which I thought did the kids pretty well, had some good humor, balanced out the conversations, but at no time was that shitty movie scary. You know, everything was announced by loud music, the CG far worse than the CG we dealt with in this film. I I think this really nailed a lot of things that it did not get right. And it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you ever saw that Daughtry horror film from about eight years ago, Trick or Treat, which is a fantastic Halloween uh, anthology with a fun wraparound story. This feels like that movie just for children. Yeah. I am a big sucker for anthology horror. I think it's the best way to express scary things because some things aren't scary for two hours. Most things are not scary for two hours. I would agree. Existential dread, maybe. What am I going to do now that I'm losing a job? That's scary for two hours. (laughs) Too real. By the way, if anybody's got any uh, jobs available... Any listeners in the Portland area who would like a fantastic new co-worker who has great taste in movies and will tell you about it. That's perfect. I'm putting it on my resume tonight. <laughs> I feel like that's a good initial summary of the movie. Um, well, that was boo ha everybody. Thanks. thanks for joining me, Avalon. Great to be here. I'm real happy to be on your podcast now. Yeah, we're recording here at my house from now on. So... Having talked about the movie, um, just to give a little bit of background on the books for anybody who's listening who, I guess, isn't a millennial. Or is still listening, for that matter. Yeah, go outside. What the fuck are you doing? So Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a book of scary stories that came out in the 90s. It was written by Alvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamble. And it's basically a collection of adapted folktales. So... Alvin Schwartz spent, I'm sure, an immense amount of time combing folklore and folktales and collecting oral histories and all that. So basically, he just went and stole a bunch of other people's uh, IP to create his own thing, kind of like Led Zeppelin. Yes, 
or Elvis or literally anybody that we remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the result is a really, really great and pretty comprehensive book of scary stories. If you haven't read it, definitely check it out. It's the only one you'll ever need. You can get the Scary Stories Treasury, which is all three of the books. You're going to want to watch out because they have recently re-released the books with new illustrations by whoever the fuck did the illustrations for Lemony Snicket, and they're just terrible. Do you think they lost the rights? No, they were too scary. The original illustrations were too spooky, and they wanted to put out something that was more family-friendly. Because in addition to this being the best book of scary stories that exists, it is also the most challenged children's book other than Harry Potter in American history. It has been continuously banned from libraries. I I can understand. I ever tell you about how I read The Exorcist when I was 11? You did. You did. I I thought by the end, uh, I was sure the devil was after me through the book but that I would learn how to defeat him at the end of the book, and my copy was so old, the pages started to fall out of the back of the book, which I thought the devil was doing on purpose, so I wouldn't learn how to defeat him. So I was saving all those pages, and I kept trying to stick them back in the book, and I tried (laughs) blow-drying it to see if the binding glue would work. It didn't, so it was just this mess of duct tape on this paperback, (laughs) and me panicked that I wasn't going to figure out how to beat the devil, which I didn't, because the book fell entirely apart, and that's why he's still on my shoulder now. That's how he got you. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm sorry that you didn't manage to defeat Satan, but... Moving on to to my own private horror. Te- I don't know. Fucking that's a terrible segue. What I thought we would do for today is maybe revisit a couple of the stories that appeared in both the movie and the book and kind of just uh, see where they where they diverge. Just kind of revisit them and see what licenses poetic or otherwise were taken. Well, this is exciting for me because you were able to make those comparisons in theater. I have no idea how this is going to shake out. So well, this yay. is this is fantastic. Um, so I'm just going to go through and give you some options for the first one. The first story is the big toe. Okay. Then we have me Tai Doty Walker, the haunted house. Whoa, that's a big one. <laughs> Four hundred pages of the haunted house. Uh, um, then we have Harold, the dream. And the red spot. Okay. Um, hit me with the dream and with Harold. Okay. Then In whichever uh, order you prefer. I think let's uh, let's start with Harold. Then Harold's a good one. And that's the one I think that anyone who's seen a trailer for the film is going to connect with the, the easiest. That trailer has a lot of scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> Almost too much scarecrow. If I had to. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually, they stayed there with the cows for two months. Then, they brought them back down into the valley again. Now, I understand that the term driving your cows means you're just like on a cattle drive, getting them up the hill on your horses or whatever. But when you said that, I pictured them all hanging out in the station wagon on a way <laughs> to a roadside picnic. We're going on a trip. <laughs> Hop in, Bessie. <laughs> <laughs> Car cow. 
<laughs> just across the back seat. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the work was easy enough, but oh, was it boring. All day, the two men tended their cows, and at night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and then went to sleep. It was always the same. Then, Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Bessie was his wife. Oh, you're close. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare away the birds. (laughs) Go on. Uh, 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 We could make little insertion points. Yes, let's make a straw husband. (laughs) It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was a farmer they both hated. So, (laughs) yeah. Fuck that guy. Let's make him in our home. Well, that way they have something to put pins in when they're doing voodoo magic. (laughs) The delicate intersection of blow-up doll and voodoo doll (laughs) is so narrow. (laughs) So they made the doll out of old sacks stuffed with straw. They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes. Then they added dark hair with a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Each morning on the way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Does that, wait a second, does that mean that they were bringing him in to play cards at night? What, why wouldn't he just be on the pole at night? You read this before? <laughs> oh, no. Is that what they're doing? They're bringing him in to play cards? Kind of, yeah. Oh. I mean, well, because logistically, crows don't come out at night. Yeah, but you couldn't just leave him on the pole like he'd they be, do in the movie? He'd be lonely. Well, that's what the cows are for. Friend. (laughs) Each night, they brought him inside so he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. Okay. That was why. Yes, among others. There's still only one bed in that cabin. Series of nighttime activities with Harold. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, How are the vegetables growing today, Harold? Then the other, making believe he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, They would both laugh, (laughs) but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him and even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smear it on the doll's face. How do you like that stew, Harold, he would ask. You better eat it or else. Then the two men would howl with laughter up on Sociopath Mountain. One night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred said. It was Harold, said Thomas. I was watching him when it happened. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw. It's not possible. Let's throw him in the fire, said Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not necessarily a bad idea. Inarguably the most level-headed thing that anybody does in this entire book. Oh, that inanimate object is suddenly animate? Burn it. Burn it with fire. Fire immediately. Grab a Bible, burn that too. Let's not do anything stupid, said Alfred. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave them behind. But for now, let's just keep an eye on him. So He just said let's not do anything stupid. <laughs> Look, you don't know what it's like up on Gas Leak Mountain. <laughs> so they left Harold sitting in a corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. They kept him very close at that point. Enemies closer. They deserve whatever they get. Well, you're not wrong. Now and then the doll grunted, but that was all. 
After a few days, they decided there was probably nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insects had gotten inside Harold and they were making those sounds. Sure. Yeah. Well, they know that there's a, a continuing food supply coming to the face. It's just full of roaches and crickets. So Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning they put Harold out in the garden and each night they brought him back into the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him, and when they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then, one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Turning to Thomas, he said, Harold has an erection. Harold is growing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not wrong. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination, replied Alfred. Probably been up on this mountain for too long. They didn't know that the minute they built Harold? We've taken a mountain, bride. It's probably time to go. (laughs) The next morning, while they were eating, Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. I have had enough of you. He climbed up on the roof and trotted back and forth like a horse on its hind legs. All day and night, he trotted like that. I think I need a physical representation. Can you show me what that's like? (laughs) Hey, I'm on the roof. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trotting on a horse, like a horse on its hind legs. I was imagining like, like that kind of really intentional walk, like just a kind of very, it's brisk. You're going back and forth. You're kind of like trump, 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 trump. Not necessarily skipping, but definitely like kind of a march, maybe like legs up, legs down. Almost when I read this as a kid, I pictured it as he was figuring it out. Like it was kind of oh, trying like he's learning to walk. Move like the movement okay. is new, so he's kind of And I, I can see how maybe that correlates to the way he's learning to walk in the movie. Yeah. It, it's very I mean, it feels more mechanical. You're seeing the wood kind of move. Yeah, there's a there's a more of an inherent skeletal structure to the one in the movie. Um yeah, when you described it uh, as him being tromping around on the roof, all I could picture was a foley artist with coconuts. <laughs> That's a different story entirely. Um, second Monty Python reference in as many weeks. My mom referenced that as well. In the morning, Harold climbed down and stood in a far corner of the pasture. They had no idea what he would do next and were terrified. They decided they still have that option to leave the fucking hill. They decided to take the cows down into the valley that same day. There you go. When they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But, after they had gotten a mile or two away, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Neither one wanted to go back for them, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. Send Bessie. (laughs) Fuck you! (laughs) Bessie now sounds like the clomping horse on the roof. (laughs) No! There really is nothing to be afraid of, one told the other. After all, We only threatened to burn this living entity that's now terrorizing us. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see which one would go back. It was Thomas. I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked on toward the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he stopped and looked back for Thomas. He didn't see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof again, and as Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. End of story. What? (laughs) Oh, man, I'll never know what happened to the milk stools. (laughs) 
kids will go in the corner nicely. You know, they'll now stuff food in the face of that skin after it's been stuffed and hanging out, keeping the crows. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, again, when I was a kid, I read it as Harold is making skin for himself. That's how I would take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Thoughts on Harold? Um, wow. Wildly different than the, the film. Um, I really, really do like it. It feels like something that could have uh, been adapted as a story by late 60s Hammer Horror. Yeah. You know, it, it's um, effective. It teaches you to have respect towards all things and um, make sure you always draw the longer straw. Yeah. Just don't go back to the hut ever. Yeah, I mean, it really came down. Do you want to save money or do you want to save your life? Yeah, but um, you know, maybe he just figured if he sent that guy back to get the, the, the to get the stools, and he didn't come back, he gets all of the cow. The cows are all my wife. <laughs> so uh, I guess spoilers here. Spoilers. 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 In the movie, because they have to use this framework of it happens in the '60s in a town. They have. Yeah, did we ever describe the framework? Did, should, should you lay that out real fast? Ah. Uh, well, the framework, it's uh, 1968, I think. Uh, Nixon's uh, running for president re-election. What yeah, the, the, fuck the weirdly present subplot of Nixon's re-election. Um, yeah, so on. It uh, happens every, every three minutes Nixon is on a TV, just to let you know you're still in the 60s. I think it's for the dumb kids who are going to repeatedly, as the movie plays on, go, why don't why don't they use their cell phone? Yeah. Why just... isn't someone taking a photo of this? You know, you got to remind them there sure. is a time, you know, pre-technology. <laughs> well, when, when all kids apparently owned CBs and bicycles. Yeah, that's the two things they had. Yeah. Yeah, those things didn't cost hundreds of dollars, which would, in today's money, be thousands of dollars. But yeah, so the wraparound storyline is there's these three kids. They're kind of losers. There's a school bully who lives on this farm with his mom, and Harold is on the farm. The kid is really shitty to Harold, and eventually Harold comes to life and stabs the kid with a pitchfork, and then the kid turns into Harold. Yeah, when he stabbed him with the pitchfork, the pitchfork had some straw on it. Yeah. And you see the straw puncture through with, with, with the tines of the fork. And then it just starts propagating inside of him until he's vomiting straw out of his mouth <laughs> onto the camera. I kind of dug it, even though it was a little CG. I was it like, was very, it was a little bit hokey, but it was really, he's just really aggressively vomiting straw. And he was an aggressively bad character. He's a classic Stephen King-like bully. Yeah. Who not only is he picking on the kids, he's damn near murdering them. But before, yeah, he did leave them in a locked room to die, basically. Yeah, and that's where they found uh, Sarah Bellow's book, and they summon the witch, which propagates all of these ghost stories, yeah. which is where all the, the supernatural comes from. Yeah. So I feel like they had to make concessions for all of the stories to make them... So in within the framework of the movie, the idea is that these stories exist in their true form, i.e. in the form that they are in the book, in the book, in the movie. Right. So so the movie actually has a book that's in essence scary stories we tell in the dark, 
that were stories the character Sarah Bellows reads to young children before they're murdered. She's locked in her own room. And she's reading these stories through the wall to these children before they die. And it's a local urban legend. Yeah. And so in the movie, they exist in their written form. But then also the things in the stories come to life and interact with the characters in the 60s. Yeah. So I, I kind of took it to be like the the story as it is written is more kind of purely like the story that exists here, whereas the characters then come alive and kind of... Yeah, I, I would presume that in if you were to have read the book that existed in the film, we would have gotten the exact story you just read. Yes, that's that's kind of uh, my thinking too. Um, and, and it just found its way to to bleed through. It's actually reminiscent in ways. The Sarah Bellows character reminds me a lot of Sam. Last action hero? What? No. <laughs> I was, was going to say uh, Samra from The Ring. Yeah. Or Sakura, however you say her name in, in uh, Ringu. Uh, sack of potatoes that's sacramento um so there's a kind of a callback to that i thought i i like the way that they handled it in the movie but ultimately i think that the way it's handled in the book is a lot more troubling um because with the book uh, with the movie it kind of is unresolved like okay so what happened to harold did harold become a boy did he did he wander off or yeah, so Harold replaces himself with the kid. And the yeah. kid's now hanging uh, as a scarecrow. But you know this because he, he looks identical to Harold other than the fact he's got his letterman jacket. Yeah, which if if it had been Harold with the kid's skin, I think that would have been a little bit more effective. But yeah, I like the idea that now Harold just has a cabin and some skin. He's probably got a couple of milk and stools. Yeah, going to go change some light bulbs. Wife named Bessie, perhaps. Yeah, you know, Harold's the real hero of the story, if you think about it. He takes out the villain, doesn't fuck with anybody else. He just goes on to lead a good life in the Nixon administration. And after he came to life, I like that Like he goes up on the roof and he trots around for a while. And the next day, he just goes out to the path. Like, he's still being a scarecrow. He's like, right. they're like, he just went out and stood in the far corner of the path. He's like, well, I'm going to do my job. And then skin. Well, so maybe he was skinning to make a new scarecrow to put out there in the field. And he could live inside the house and laugh and have a good time and go and shove food in. in what was that guy's name? Harold. No. the, uh, oh, the Thomas. Skin. Thomas, yeah. yeah. He could just smear food on Thomas's face until one day Thomas groans. I am the Thomas now. And it's just a cycle. It's a so, cycle of skin theft. So do you think that clomping and tromping around on the roof was a devil reference? Because you, you, the, there used to be the idea that if the devil visited, he'd leave footprints, goat prints up on the roof. Yeah. Of, which I think got co-opted by the Jersey devil you know, in more modern times. Yeah, and Santa Claus. Yeah, hard to say. I feel like with a lot of these stories, you do see little bits and bobs bleed in from... Like there's just sort of Lego blocks of folk tales that kind of appear here and there. And like, you know, monster on the roof, I think is just because like it's up there. What do you what the fuck do you do? Like, yeah, it's like that grandpa ghost and it follows just up there waving at you with his penis. Hi, kids. Where are you going? <laughs> I'll see you later. I'm going to turn into your mom and murder fuck you. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so that, yeah, the, on that weird note, that was Harold. Um, Good story. Yeah, I'm I'm going to give that uh, five out of five milking stools, I think. <laughs> five out of three milking stool legs. <laughs> I guess we should do a rating for the book one and a rating for the movie one. Um, book one, I'm going to go... I'm going to go five out of five milking stools. And for the movie one, I'm going to go four out of five letter jackets. Okay. If we're, we're, we're playing on this framework, uh, for the story, I, I will definitely go, um, four out of four milking cows. Cause uh, I, I like odors for, for, for the, uh, uh, film story. I, I didn't feel like they gave enough of a backstory for Harold in that one. He just kind of existed to get fucked with by the kid. I didn't even realize it was the kid's personal scarecrow till the interaction where he has to kill him. His mom sends him to get eggs. So I'm I'm going to give that one uh, uh, three out of four pitchfork times. Fair, fair. Um, yeah, I think that that one, it also in the movie, it suffers a little bit from the Annabelle problem where we're supposed to believe that it's just a scarecrow that somebody made and it looks like it was sewn by the devil himself. Yeah, if they had given it some background and maybe explained that the kid had made the scarecrow with his dad before his dad left, if the kid did it, they could explain away that face as being an old Halloween mask, perhaps. Sure. Yeah. Or or maybe it really is just grandfather's leathered face after he died. They're like, well, this could be put to use. I live in the field. But yeah, it looks like a just classic halloween horror mask it doesn't look like a scarecrow mask at all yeah or i mean there isn't really a scarecrow mask i mean what would that be a potato sack yeah it's it's got it's got a fully formed like nose eyes eyebrows lips ears it's very clearly something that was purpose-built to be scary and infested with cockroach yeah cockroach i mean a face of cockroaches you would think they would eat the corn before they eat the crow scare scarecrow yeah and uh, i'll tell you the other thing this kid want he's obviously violent always wandering around with a bat at what point does he realize he's not taking harold out with that bat because he has clobbered that thing every day he i mean look he tries to at some point he tries to stab harold with a pitchfork and it's a real like harold grabs the pitchfork he's like ah now I've got a pitchfork. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm uh, that was. I'm glad that kid died. Yeah, uh, and again, a movie with stakes. You you might expect the bad guy to die, so that's happened here. But other people die too. Yeah, or they, disappear, or get ghosted, whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. The only person who suffers a non-paranormal death really is the cop who gets his neck snapped. Yeah, that oh, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll maybe yeah, maybe it's time for um, us to oh, segue. Oh, oh, I'm gonna pee real fast. Well, don't turn the microphone off. I'm glad I got the wireless one. <laughs> Join me, won't you? Diverging from form a little bit, because 
the dream is one that screwed you up so much. And a number of these stories are incredibly short. The dream being one of them. I think uh, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the dream real fast, and then we'll we'll switch gears over to mine. Hit me. The dream. Lucy Morgan was an artist. She had spent a week painting in a small country town and decided that the next day she would move on. She would go to a village called Kingston. She is living the dream. Yeah, just really itinerant painter. Uh, (laughs) um, But that night, Lucy Morgan had a strange dream. She dreamed that she was walking up a dark, carved staircase and entering a bedroom. It was an ordinary room except for two things. The carpet was made up of large squares that looked like trap doors, and each of the windows was fastened shut with big nails that stuck up out of the wood. Oh, so this is a good dream. (laughs) Room full of trap doors with sturdily insulated windows? Hmm, cozy. (laughs) Um, In her dream, Lucy went to sleep in that bedroom, and during the night, a woman with a pale face and black eyes and long black hair came into the room. She leaned over the bed and whispered, This is an evil place. Flee while you can. When the woman touched her arm to hurry her along, Lucy Morgan awakened from her dream with a shriek. She lay awake the rest of the night. At that point, I'd already be on the roof, clomping around like a prancing horse on its hind legs. I would already be skinning my compatriots. (laughs) Uh, At this point, it's important to point out that when they say a woman with a pale face and black eyes... The illustration is objectively the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. That is horrible. It's like Jabba the Hutt's wife. It's awful. It's just... It's it's like Honey Boo Boo's mom. Occasionally, a BuzzFeed article will pop up where it's like, realistic Pokemon, and it's horrifying. <laughs> this looks like they did that with the Grimace. Oh, yeah, I see it. Her milkshake Um, brings all the kids to the graveyard. Oh, God. (laughs) It's really the, again, if you haven't read these stories, just Google the illustrations. It's unspeakably awful. That's got to be like 50, 60% of the draw of of this uh, compendium in, in the time. I think it's the thing that the most parents have had trouble with, for sure. And I know that for me, it's one of the things that was the most compelling initially. But beyond that, it's sort of like like with Playboy. You get hooked by the pictures and then you start reading Fahrenheit 451. You're like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, Mercer Meyer, I think, was the, uh, the, the one who made all those monster after monster books of the uh, 70s. And it was the art that drew me in. And then it was the monsters <clears throat> that kept me going back. Yeah, it really... It's a great one-two punch of terror and then terror. In the morning, she told her landlady that she had decided not to go to Kingston after all. I can't really explain why, but I just can't bring myself to go there. I mean, I could explain why, but you might think I'm overreacting to a dream. Oh, then why don't you go to Dorset, the landlady said. It's a pretty town and it isn't too far. And it's got loads of trap doors. <laughs> trap door set. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lucy Morgan went to Dorset. Someone told her she could find a room in a house at the top of a hill. It was a pleasant looking house. Trap door hill? 
This is Sociopath Mountain oh, from the last right. story. So she moved in next to Harold. <laughs> Bessie's just over there. Move me. <laughs> Look over and your neighbor is a scarecrow. Because he doesn't like his fingers aren't going to be good. He doesn't have articulation. So it's just a scarecrow who has like taped a skin to himself. <laughs> like he's just, he's wearing it like a cape more than anything else. Okay, so so Harold's basically Dr- Dwight Schrute with the <laughs> with the CPR dummy face carved out. <laughs> oh God damn it! I'll insert the real one of those here. Um, <clears throat> it was a pleasant-looking house, and the landlady there, a plump motherly woman, was as nice as could be. Let's look at the room. I think you'll like it. They walked up a dark, carved staircase like the one in Lucy's dream. Well, in these old houses, I bet the staircases are all the same, Lucy thought. But when the landlady opened the door to the bedroom, it was the room in her dream, with the same carpet that looked like trapdoors and the same windows fastened with big nails. Surely it's just a coincidence, Lucy told herself. Well, now she deserves everything she gets. Well, how do you like it, the landlady asked. I'm not quite sure, Lucy said. Well, take your time, the landlady said. I'll bring up some tea while you think about it. Lucy sat on the bed looking at the trap doors and the big nails. Soon there was a knock on the door. Oh, it's the landlady with tea, she thought. But it wasn't the landlady. It was the woman with the pale face and the black eyes and the long black hair. Lucy Morgan grabbed her things and fled. The end? End of story. Well, I guess the dream did save her. Yep. I'm sorely disappointed, though, because this sequence in the movie scared the fuck out of me. Literally chills down my back. Deeply troubling in the movie. Well, now I understand why in the movie he just mentions briefly a red room dream with the pale lady, because there really isn't enough there to flesh all of that out. Yeah. In, I guess, to explain, again, spoilers, in the framework of the movie, the funny kid we were talking about earlier at some point mentions, he's like, I had this that dream again of the pale woman. And uh, then they go to a mental hospital to try to find old records about a patient. And uh, they get split up. At some point, an alarm goes off. All the lights go off. Red alarm lights come on like it's the fucking Starship Enterprise at Red Alert. <laughs> Yeah, and in his dream, he had mentioned that it was occurring in a red room. Yeah. So he was avoiding avoiding any rooms with the color red. Well, and uh, then because he figured that's where things would go bad for him. He comes around a corner, and then there is this kind of grotesque, misshapen, pale, featureless thing, fleshy grimace from a distance with long stringy samurai like hair big wide lipless mouth almost like a grover mouth just a line yeah and just kind of almost smiling too which is like it's yeah i felt as though she was being i i and i do feel it's a she because there's a very maternal kind of feel to her yeah and as she's approaching uh the kid chuck She's always got this smile and she's kind of rubbing her hands up around her bosom. Yeah, that was weird. Like, just kind of like, 
if you can imagine like the gesture of like you're excited so you kind of like have your hands up by your chest you're like ooh, ooh, ooh. yeah again that honey boo boo mom kind of like the way she looks at a turkey leg she's, like, <laughs> oh, she's gonna be so good to get inside me <laughs> and so she's slowly shambling towards chuck who wisely turns and flees the other way down the hallway to notice she's at the end of the hallway again and then he turns and he runs down another one and then she's there and then he turns down another one and she's there and it gets to the point where it's like in a four-way crossway yeah and the camera kind of pans around and you can see like she's in front of him and as it pans you can see she's also behind him like they actually show that like there's no way to go she's actually everywhere and slowly certain you know just getting tighter and tighter like uh like like a round of that Fortnite game all the youths are playing these days. And see, you don't Boo. even know the reference. <laughs> I don't want to know about this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it, it's uh, constricting tighter and tighter and there's nowhere to go. And, and they all reach out to embrace him. And then, yeah, the final shot is she pulls him in for a hug and then just keeps pulling him in. Until he disappears. Yeah, she just osmosed her own like zygote inside her. Or something. Oh. It was, and it was incredibly effective. It was something about the eeriness of that shape. Well, when she like pulls him in and like really grabs his head and tucks him to her bosom before she engulfs him like 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 a cell, you know, taking over. Uh, there, there's this maternal look on her face and almost this expression of giving up on his that it was almost sweet for a second before it kind of goes bloop and yeah. takes him in. Ugh. Oh, God, what a... T- oh, God, and he's just inside there slowly dissolving. I Yeah, or God only... like I think part of what's so creepy about it is of all the other ghosts, you, you understand the motive. That one... What the fuck? Because yeah, he says that in the dream, she says, like she did in the story, this is a place of evil right. run. And so there's this weird dichotomy of like maternal protection, predatory. It's a whole creepy intersection yeah. of motive. And And the ending of the film is set up for a sequel. So there is a chance that Chuck comes back and and that is she's protecting him potentially. That would be a fun turn. I've been wearing her like a mech suit. Oh, then she <laughs> and Harold she's fight. Harold. Yeah. <laughs> Pacific Rim 3. Scary stories to tell in the dark. <laughs> um yeah, okay, so that when we went into this I had kind of thought yeah, all of the stories are going to be better than the ones in the movies. But I think, well, don't want to spoil it. I guess the rating system, I'm, for the one in the book, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this two out of five trapdoor floors. There you go. Yeah, because I, 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 I got to go uh, two, nail, two nails in the window out of five on that one. I, I was a little unimpressed with yeah, this story. Two nails all the way in. If there isn't a skinned human at some point, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I I gotta agree with you there. And and for the one in the movie, I'm I'm straight up. I'm gonna go five forever hugs. 
I'm going four out of four pale women because there's one down every hallway at the crossroads. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that was inarguably the best sequence in the movie. That was yeah, it, it stuck with me. I, I've reflected back upon that sequence a number of times since we saw it. It's so there's something about it that just it captures that kind of dream terror where the physics of it don't work but do work because it is a dream yeah and that and i think that's a lot of that terror is like you suddenly realize rules don't apply you're not getting away and 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 that's why i think maybe you got that acceptance expression on his face and there was also one moment when when he's first just dealing with her always being down at the end before you're seeing uh numerous pale women She's way at the end of the hallway and she just gets this small little burpy smile on her on her lips. And I've thought about that. Mo- it was like she was so excited for a moment. It's like, oh, he's a kid. They taste like sugar. Oh, <laughs> it was just this a moment where she seemed a little more excited. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, she's, she, yeah. she's anticipating the flavor. She's so happy. And then the, the fact that it's in, I think the fact that it's in a mental hospital also makes it that much more unsettling for some reason, just because as a setting, it, it's the appropriate setting for that kind of peculiar unhinged motivation, you know? Yeah. You know, did you ever find out? About, Cause I imagine you tapped out of those shitty movies by the point, but in like the fifth nightmare on Elm street, I think it was, it turns out that Freddie's mom had been uh, oh yeah like a she woman. was a she was a nun uh, yeah the bastard son of ten thousand maniacs exactly yeah I don't think that's how babies work yeah but maybe that's how pill woman babies work Ugh. I mean I don't think what you know that's how babies work when you osmos them at the crossroads either <sighs> remember Osmosis Jones yes what a shit show that was yeah Bill Murray ate that egg uh-huh. he ate a monkey egg. I mean, he took a monk. He took an egg from a monkey and ate it, and then he got like the red death or whatever. Yeah, are they making some kind of joke about AIDS with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope so. Yeah. So okay, that's that's that pale woman osmosis at the crossroads, coming soon to iTunes. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um. Okay. Well. We've definitely. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, that's frightening. Yeah, I just. Oh wow! I just opened up to the Wolf Girl of the Rio Grande. Um, I want to read that story. It's fucking great. All of these are. So upsetting. you're leaving that book when you go? Yeah, if you, yeah, absolutely. You can, you can peruse this. So now we've reached my segment. I get to choose, and I think my initial temptation was to do the red spot. But I feel like we could just take that one as red because it's something that we've heard, you know, hundreds of times. Spider lays eggs in somebody's face, has a bunch of babies. Definitely creepy for sure. And an incredibly effective scene in the movie. Just a giant pimple with a spider leg coming out of it. But ultimately, I think I think I've got to do me, Ty, Dodie, Walker. Oh, I was hoping you were going to pick that one. This one, anyway, I'll I'll let you read it. I, it's definitely the biggest divergence in the movie. Like they take 
the hardest of left turns with it for narrative reasons. And I think it's also the weakest one in the movie. How did they set it up? Well, we'll talk about that afterwards. Okay, fine. Well, I should mention that the story begins with a uh, drawing of an old man's face that is full of the angst and wear of 60 or 70 years of pain, very similar to the expression I'm wearing now. Look, It looks not unlike Jasper Beardsley from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Me Tai Doty Walker. There was a haunted house where every night a bloody head fell down the chimney. All right. Fair. Putting it right out there on Front Street. <laughs> At least that's what people said. So nobody would stay there overnight, which does beg the question, how do they know that there's a haunted house where every night a bloody hell, f- hell, hell head fell down the chimney? A bloody hell head fell down the chimney. <laughs> Then a rich man offered $200 to whoever would do it. Well, it's either this or hunt people for sport. And this boy said he would try if he could have his dog with him. So it was all settled. The past, things were so much more boring. The very next day, the boy went to the house with his dog. To make it more cheerful, he started a fire in the fireplace. Then he sat in front of the fire and waited. And his dog waited with him. So, yes, I'm sure it did make it a bit more cheerful. There's probably also a little bit of defensive driving there where it's like, okay, head comes down the chimney, fire probably stops head. Or at least burns it. Yeah. Taking the Herald approach. Then you got a nice barbecue dinner. It works out for everybody. I ate the head. And then if the fire doesn't take him out, you got the dog. And you would think for protection from the head, but no, you just need to run faster than the dog. Head ate my dog. (laughs) For a while, nothing happened. But a little after midnight, he heard someone singing softly and sadly off in the woods. The singing sounded something like this. Me, Ty, Dodie Walker. It's just somebody singing, the boys told himself. But he was frightened. It's just that rich man coming to hunt me. Then his dog answered the song. Softly and sadly it sang Lynchy Kinchy Kali Molly Dingo Dingo. <laughs> the boy could not believe his ears. His dog had never uttered a word before, let alone sing a sad song. This is the 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 one at well and we'll talk about this later. This is the aspect of the story where I'm like the idea of you just sitting there with your dog and you're kind of freaked out, and then at some your dog just looks over to you and goes like, "Lean cheek in cheek, Ali Molly Dingo Dingo." <laughs> okay, ah. that's how he's singing. Because I want to make sure we're <clears throat> getting your. Because so, f- f- in in my mind, it was definitely a little bit Kang and Kodos from The Simpsons, just like the dog just kind of suddenly p- was possessed of a human voice. Yeah, see, I went total 60s musical. <laughs> Me, Ty, Dodie Walker. It's a real, yeah, Leonard Nimoy's <laughs> out there singing about Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins was a small walker. <laughs> a rhyming talker. His ring race were stockers. Fuck off. Lynchy, kinchy, kali, molly, dingo, dingo. 
<laughs> the boy could not believe his ears. His dog had never uttered a word before. Then a few minutes later, he heard the singing again. Now it was closer and louder, but the words were the same. Me, Ty, Dottie Walker. <laughs> Gonna auto-tune you. <laughs> <laughs> Me, Ty, Dottie Walker. And that's how Mumble Rap was born. This time, the boy tried to stop his dog from answering. He was afraid that whoever was singing would hear it and come for them. But his dog paid no attention, and again it sang, Lynchy, kinchy, collie, molly, dingo, dingo. See, that's upsetting, too, the idea that you're, like, tr- you're like squeezing your dog's snout shut, and it's just sing like... It's the it's this thing you love, but you're just it's singing with a human voice and it's calling something to you. Well, if you truly love the dog and he's clearly possessed by something awful, you have to kill the dog. Yeah, you got to burn him like you should have burned Harold in the first story. (laughs) A half hour later, the boy heard the singing again. Now it was in the backyard and the song was the same. Me, Ty, Dottie Walker. Again, the boy tried to keep his dog quiet, but the dog sang out louder than ever. Lenchy, kenchy, kali molly, dingo, dingo. Uh. Soon the boy heard the singing again. Now it was coming down the chimney. Me, Ty, Daddy Walker. The dog sang right back. Lenchy, kenchy, kali molly, dingo, dingo. Suddenly, a bloody head fell out of the chimney. It missed the fire and landed next to the dog. Ah, fuck. The dog took one look and fell over dead from fright. The head turned and stared at the boy. Slowly, it opened its mouth and... Ah! (laughs) I think there's 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 a writer's note there, is there? There is. Turn to one of your friends and scream, Ah! <laughs> the sound wave for that period is just a solid block of blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> should we? Are you happy with that, me, Ty Dottie Walker? <laughs> no, do you want to? Should we get, go back and read? Should we ADR our me, we, Ty Dottie Walker? Should we hit the studio? Me, me Ty Dottie Walker. <laughs> Rub some funk on. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to need a bass line. Yo, yo. <laughs> Me, Ty, Dodie Walker. Go on. <laughs> oh, I think you 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 landed it. <laughs> we got our bumper track. Um, yeah, that's a quick end. It's it's definitely a shorty. Um there's It's what? one of those ones where like it's just so fucking weird. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. So I guess he's really just trying to translate these old folk stories. And uh, you kind of got to follow the uh, material as it was written. But there's so many questions. If the dog's responding and then the dog dies of fright, I mean, did the dog have any agency or was he just Marco Poloing his way into the house, the, the bloody head ghost? And was just getting a response from the like lowest cast of, of who was in the house. 
Like if maybe there was some mice, the mice would have been squeaking back or, or something of that <clears throat> nature. That that was kind of my assumption where it's like it's a little bit evil deadsy where yeah. in in order to get in, like that's part of it where it it, it needs something to call it in. Or maybe like right. if it was just you, you would have been singing. Sure. Then your head would have fallen off and mm-hmm. it would have scared you to death. And you become the Me Tai Doty Walker guy. Well, you know, the funny thing, because in the film, and it's such a different thing in the film. Again, it's a reference to a nightmare, I think, or a story his dad Cam- used a, to a tell. A campfire story, right. yeah. And then the monster comes, and it's more than just a head. It's uh, multiple body parts that fall through <clears throat> and then attach themselves together like a Voltron style. Yeah. And, and it comes after you. And they, apparently they got a contortionist to play the uh, monster for when its pieces come together and calls it the jangly man. This was it's I saw this in one of the late late trailers or one of the late little featurettes. And it was the thing that made me the most concerned. Cuz as soon as I heard jangly man, I'm like A that's not from the books and B it kind of just reminds me of like the bye-bye man or something like these sure. horrible like oh or the in the the conjuring 2 what was it the um I didn't bother with that garbage. Um, mm, the Crooked Man. Okay. There, there's probably a Crooked Man in there, and then there's the Bent Nick Man in the Haunting yeah. the Hill House it's, or whatever. It's got all yeah. of these. It, there's a ascribing a weird childish name to something very scary in the hopes that that just haphazardly threads a needle of, of childhood angst. Yeah, and so the, the kid mentioned the title of this in the film, and I took it because the way he said it and not seeing it spelled out as I did now, I thought it was um, going. Uh, it was either Korean or Vietnamese and it was some ghost story that was going to tie into the war. Yeah. Uh, especially be- being based on in the late 60s, we would have been in war. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, God, God only knows what the what the etymology or what the um, what the history of the story is. It might be. Um. I think the, so yeah, as you said, the version in the movie, it's more of like a Voltron Megazord of body parts. And then they rubbed 15,000 layers of 2004 era CG on it. Yeah. I mean, all the sequences, it felt very much like uh, um, the Scorpion King. Well, there's some Scorpion King there uh, um, for, in regards to the CG, but the uh, action, the chase sequence that, that ensues was very Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird, it's so clearly in service of the plot and nothing else. Yeah. Um, Wasn't and, scary. Well, there was one aspect of it, which, again, from from my reaction to the book, I'm sure you can guess. In the context of the movie, the kids get arrested because the cop rightfully thinks that they have something to do with it because all of their friends and enemies have disappeared. And so they're they're locked up in jail and the cop's kind of puttering around. He's got the station dog there. The lights go out and the dog starts fixating on the chimney. Yeah, barking over at it. And he's kind of like at it. growling and and they kind of pan in on the dog and the growls kind of become a little bit more structured and yeah, it really got to the point where I'm like, is the dog gonna s- come on? Like dingo, just, just say it. Yeah. Dingo. Like if, if the dog had just been on, like, <laughs> like just 
half formed, that would have been enough. Yeah. But they really don't. It got close enough to where I I felt like it was trying to say something, and it and that was spooky. And then so when as the a, head pops out of the fireplace, <laughs> missing the fire and popping out, and, and uh, it's a very much like a scene out of the thing. Where it's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And he pulls out his gun and just shoots the fuck out of it. That was great. Where the yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, you, you, this is the first time someone's reacting the way they should to a situation. It was interesting, too, because as we've said, all of the, all of the people who are being directly targeted by this ghost and these stories and these monsters, they don't leave bodies behind. They just kind of disappear. Whereas the cop, who is not a direct player in this story just gets his fucking neck broke. Like the jangly man comes together, snaps his fucking neck and moves on. Yeah. Quickly. You know? And so he's not coming back yet. The, the movie is set up for a potential sequel and all of these, even the kid, uh, the bad kid who gets turned into the scarecrow potentially could be unscarecrowed. Yeah. They could just reach up his ass and pull all that straw out. Just get the straw out. Crawl on in there. You just need a good colonic, son. Get those cockroaches out of your face. Um, yeah, and then it, it turns into a real kind of, I don't know, early 2000s chase, CG chase scene. Yeah. Um, it's it, the, the whole sequence is, is tired and lazy really, yeah. once the chase begins. Made all the more goofy by the fact that the rest of the movie is so kind of aggressively competent. <laughs> Yeah, and and kind of thoughtful in the way everything plays out. It, I feel like the studio or or maybe Del Toro himself was like, we need a big action sequence now. They gave us $80 million to make this, and we still got $20 million left. We've given Del Taco too much power. Yeah, they, they got Beyond Meat now. I had a Beyond Burger last night. It wasn't as good as an Impossible. I have not done the Impossible. It's got wheat, so yeah. I'm avoiding give, give it, it a couple months. Get, yeah, yeah, the soy's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've had it a few times. I'm not a fan, yeah. but it, the closer it gets to meat, the less I'm going to like it anyway. That's fair. So yeah, I think in in terms of of ratings on that one, I'm going to give the story primarily because of its kind of unsettling weirdness. I'm going to give it four out of five talking dogs. Yeah, I'm I'm going <laughs> to just give it a two out of five dropping heads. It's fair. It sounds like we're doing the worst 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> Five heads are rolling. <laughs> Four milking cows. <laughs> Three scarecrows. Two trapdoors. One pill woman who'll embrace us all at the crossroads. Check out Osmosis at the Crossroads coming this fall to iTunes. Okay, that was terrible. Um... One spider zit. I don't know. Anyway, okay. Oh. Fucking Jesus Christ. Yeah. It, well, you, and they, for the they were able to save the sister with the spider zit. That's true. That's true. They got her. Um, okay. Wait. And so for the rating of the movie version, I'm going to give this one very jangly man. I'm giving it two broken necks out of four. Five. Two broken so necks interesting. Out of five. So you're going its same rating for movie and book. Did I go broken neck? I went dropping. Or no, no, no. I mean same level. Like you went to. Yeah, I'm not a fan of either one. Okay, interesting. The 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 book, uh, and it may be because I saw the movie first. It just the story has 
no impact on me. Yeah. Uh, it, it's less fleshed out as there's less flesh. It's only a head. And um, I really did enjoy the cop's reaction to the talking dog and just saying, oh, fuck this and shooting the hell out of the head. And I, I laughed out loud in the theater. Yeah, it was it was a great moment. Uh, yeah. OK, so that one mixed mixed bag on that. I think probably got time for one more. OK, well, do you got one that that crosses over still with the film? I do. I do. I think it, I think we should do the haunted house. Let's do the haunted house. So, and we can talk about the crossover with with there the once movie. was a haunted house, and no one ever stayed overnight. It lives ahead. You kinda. Yeah. You're not. Re- I like the idea that it's it's the same like cabin in the woods building that they're just they're just cycling through different spooks. Oh, it's like the red room in the haunting of Hill House. Oh yeah, digesting the haunted house. One time, a preacher went to see if he could put a haunt to rest. At a house in his settlement. I like that turn of phrase. Yeah. And the fact that they refer to settlement makes me feel like this has got to be like 1700s or 1800s latest, right? A lot of these are workably timeless. Like, I think probably the highest tech thing that you get in any of these is a phone or a car. The house had been haunted for about 10 years. Yeah, fair. They'd marked it on a calendar. It's all a tenor. Several people had tried to stay there all night. But they they would always get scared out by the haunt. Head came down the chimney and the dog started singing. I fucked off. Going home. So this preacher took his Bible and went to the house. Went on in. Oh, this is folksy. I'm I'm giving it a folksy delivery. I'm going to edit in the sound of a rocking chair. So this preacher took his Bible and went to the house. Went on in. Built himself a good fire and lit a lamp. Sat there reading the Bible. Then just before midnight, he heard something start up in the cellar, walking back and forth, back and forth. Then it sounded like somebody was trying to scream and got choked off. Then there was a lot of thrashing around and struggling, and finally everything got quiet. Yep, time for bed. The old preacher took up his Bible again, but before he could start reading, he heard footsteps coming up the cellar stores. Stores, stairs. Okay, you're a man of God. You've got whatever Jesus-based version of the Hippocratic Oath you have to go and, like, help and do what you can. And you're just like, oh, sounds like somebody's getting murdered downstairs. Where was I here? John 3.16. There we go. He sat watching the door to the cellar, and the footsteps kept coming closer and closer. He saw the doorknob turn, and when the door began to open, he jumped up and hollered, what do you want? Ah, fuck. <laughs> I was just taking shelter in the basement. The door shut back easy-like, and there wasn't a sound. The preacher was trembling a little, but he finally opened the Bible and read a while. Then he got up and laid the book on the chair and went to mend in the fire. Okay, he went there to put this haunt to rest, and he's like, he just, he screamed it into submission. Isn't that the way it worked in The Exorcist? That's the way it works on uh, Ghost Adventures. My name is Zach Bagans. Fuck I you, ghost. Believed in dude. Until I dude. Face to face with hey, one. dudes. So I set Fuck you, ghost. Quest to yeah, capture bro. What I then the haunt started walking again. And step, step, step up the cellar stores. God damn it. <laughs> I do not know how to say, say stairs. I just want there to be stores in the cellar. You live in a cellar. <laughs> like You have cellar stores. Oh, no. See? <sighs> then the haunt started walking again. 
and step, step, step up the cellar stairs. The old preacher sat watching the door, saw the doorknob turn and the door open. Oh, it looked like a young woman. Hello. He backed up and said, who are you? What do you want? And then she looked like this. Oh, meth. Not even once. Yeah, she asked me for a dollar the other day. That is horrifying. Yeah, we have a tall, gaunt, skull-faced woman with dark, dark eye holes that really just looks like Shelley Duvall post uh, The Shining. <laughs> That's incredibly appropriate. But, like, it's just, again, like, every every time I show this book to somebody who's never heard of it, I will show them a picture or read some of a story, and then I just default to singing, It's children's book. It's a book for children. We, th- th- this is a, a vibrato-filled episode. <laughs> the hot sort of swayed like she didn't know what to do. Then she just faded out. Stop yelling at me. The old preacher waited, waited, and when he didn't hear any more noises, he went over and shut the door. He was sweating and trembling all over, but he was a brave man and he thought he'd be able to see it through. Oh, it's mostly just the sugar shakes, though. That beatish. So he turned his chair to where he could watch. Wait, where was the chair aimed before that? <laughs> He's Blair witching in a corner. <laughs> So he turned his chair to where he could watch, and he sat down and waited. Wasn't long before he heard the haunt start up again, slowly. Step, step, <laughs> step, step, closer and closer. Step, step, and it was right at the door. This is kind of like ghost edging. The preacher stood up and held his Bible out before him. Then the knob slowly turned, and the door opened wide. This time the preacher spoke quiet-like. He said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Who are you and what do you want? The hunk came right across the room, straight to him, took hold of his coat. It was a young woman, about 20 years old. Her hair was torn and tangled. And the flesh was dropping off her face so you could see the bones and part of her teeth. She had no eyeballs, but there was sort of a blue light way back in her sockets. It's children's book. It's a book for kids. Kids read this book at night. And she had no nose to her face. Then she started her talking. It sounded like her voice was coming and going with the wind blowing it. She told how her lover had killed her for her money and buried her in the cellar. She said if the preacher would dig up her bones and bury her properly, she could rest. Then she told him to take the end of the joint. Then she told him to take the end joint of the little finger from her left hand and to lay it in the collection plate at the next church meeting. And he'd find out who had murdered her. And she said, If you come back here once more after that, you'll hear my voice at midnight. And I'll tell you where my money is hidden. And you can give it to the church. The haunt sobbed like she was tired, and she sunk down towards the floor and was gone. The preacher found her bones and buried them in the graveyard. The next Sunday, the preacher put the finger bone in the collection plate, and when a certain man happened to touch it, it stuck to his hand. The man jumped up and rubbed and scraped and tore at the bone, trying to get it off. Then he went to screaming like he was going crazy. Well, he confessed to the murder, and they took him on to jail. 
After the man was hung, the preacher went back to the house one midnight, and the haunt's voice told him to dig underneath the hearth rock. He did, and he found a big sack of money. And where that haunt had held on to his coat, the print of those bony fingers was burned right into the cloth. It never did come out. That's my favorite story we've read today. That's Pretty great. Good. Right? Yeah. Uh, coming and going with the wind. Yeah. Just I, I, This was the folksiest of all of them. The writing's very folksy. There's like a lot of comings and goings and... He the tone shifts for certain stories definitely, and that one, that one skews real folksy. So where does this play into the movie? Because that's not Sarah Bellows. No. So this, again, is one that they took a little bit of license from, and this is a mixture of this story and then the Big Toe, which is a story about a. Weirdly, it's about a kid finding a toe in his garden, and then he takes it home, and his dad cuts it up, and they eat it. And then a ghost comes, and in the night is like, "Where's my toe? You ate my fucking toe, you hillbillies!" Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, I, I kind of enjoy. It, it felt like a very by the numbers sequence, but they did it or, or by the numbers ghost story in the movie, um, but they did it with enough humor that I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And the fact he just finds the kids alone uh, at home. His parents are gone. He's talking to him on the phone. Well, shit, if you're not going to be here, what do I get to eat for dinner? Oh, I'll just have the stew that's in the fridge. And his mom on the phone's like, I didn't make stew. Well, somebody did. I'm eating it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he's eating the stew and then a toe pops up in the stew. And I mean, he he takes a bite of the toe and then he spills the stew in horror yeah well i like the fact he didn't swallow it yes i mean there's always those scenes like but he uh, ate some of like if it's if it's a stew made out of ghost toe because i think there it feels like there's an eyeball well, yeah in there sure too. you gotta simmer it down you're gonna get the juices you're in getting there. you're eating some ghost juice yeah there was when he spills it there's an eyeball so i think we can assume all of it was ghost meat yeah <laughs> so cold cold cuts <laughs> Well, it was in the fridge. And then... He didn't uh, microwave. Yeah, he just eat... Uh, a man after my own heart. Eat the stew out of the fridge. Uh, but, yeah, and so then the ghost shows up and hears her asking, who has my toe, who has my toe, right. and eventually it gets him. Yeah, and I, and I feel that was all just so we could see those fingernail scratches all the way down the, the floorboards. Yeah, that... It's weird that that's a trope that exists. Like, it would... Your fingernails would come off immediately. Yeah. yeah. It's I've, crazy to me. It's That makes it more... It would be more horrifying if he tried to claw in and his fingernails came yeah, off. Yeah, that's like when you see it in the ring and there's fingernails in... Yeah. It, or in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, I feel so that's like... That's right, ladies. Keep your nails trimmed. Always just... Um, yeah, you never know when you might need to like claw at a murderer's dog or scoop up some cocaine in 1978 yeah flick your nipple ring <laughs> oh fuck me <laughs> you're a great big fat person <laughs> okay so that means <laughs> that means i just got lost in how much i love silence of the lambs that being said yeah i think that the the sequence of the movie was really effective they it was almost entirely silent like there was no 
Yeah. There's no extraneous audio. There was no like jump scare signaling tone like an it. Cut it in here. It was just really, it was quiet. It was the quiet terror of a child in their room waiting. Yeah, waiting for a noise, listening for, for a sound that you're anticipating that that begats what whatever you're terrified by. Yeah. And, and it's really effective. But man, that story was great. I, I really like that one a lot. Well, this book was so fantastic. I just want to have more kids so I can scare the fuck out of <laughs> That's I think ulti- okay, so we gotta we gotta give that one a rating. Um so for the film version i'm going to go four out of five bowls of ghost meat stew and for the story version i think i'm gonna go five out of five five out of five ghost stained coats fair enough i'm gonna go um for the movie three out of five torn fingernails yeah yeah (laughs) feel feel the rating Deep down. And um, for the for the book, I'm going to go uh, $5 out of $5 in the collection plate. I want this church to go on. That that guy's doing good work. Yeah. Give it up for the preachers. Like, got a spook house? All right. I'll go sit and read the Bible there. I got to read it anyway. You want that I go yell at your spook? Sure. I mean, he was trembling, but he told himself he was a brave man. For a second, it felt like that preacher was going to fuck that ghost. You know, it wasn't until she came across the room and he saw she had no face. Speaking of breaking it off. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, do we have time to hit the actual toe? Isn't it just a two pager? Big toe? You know what? Yeah, sure. Let's let's throw yeah, that just in. Just for context, sure. I, I feel like someone's going to call you out and be like, yeah, it was Haunted House, but the toe was part of it. Yeah, the toe. I'm, this one, I'm going to hit you with this one because this one is every once in a like every 20 or so pages in this book, there's one where you're like, wait, what? What just happened? Did I, am I having a stroke? Yeah. And this is one of them. This is the big toe. <laughs> you want to talk about folksy? The boy was digging at the edge of the garden when he saw a big toe. He tried to pick it up, but it was stuck to something. So he gave it a good hard jerk and it came off in his hand. You know, occasionally I give things a good hard jerk and they come off in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) So he gives this toe a good hard jerk and it comes off in his hand. Then he heard something groan and scamper away. The boy took the toe into the kitchen and showed it to his mother. Well, it looks nice and plump. I'll put it in the soup and we'll have it for supper. As you do. Yes, with a garden toe. It's from the garden. It's homegrown. It's organic. Probably organic. That night, his father carved the toe into three pieces. This is a big fucking toe. Well, it probably is the big toe. And they each had a piece. Then they did the dishes, and when it got dark, they went to bed. Being peasants sucked. Just eating toes and going to bed. The boy fell asleep almost at once, but in the middle of the night, a sound awakened him. It was something out in the street. It was a voice, and it was calling to him. Where's my toe? When the boy heard that, he got very scared. For some reason. 
Right. Seems weird. Yeah, it wasn't saying dingo dingo or anything. <laughs> My dog ate your toe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that just sounds like a real life story. Yeah. Um, boy got very scared, but he thought, it doesn't know where I am. It'll never find me. Then he heard it once more, only now it was closer. Where's my toe? Wait, is the phone call coming from inside of the hut? It's coming from inside the toe. Boy pulled the blankets over his head and closed his eyes. I'll go to sleep. When I wake up, it'll be gone. But soon he heard the back door open, and again he heard the voice. Boy heard footsteps move through the kitchen and into the dining room, into the living room, through the front hall. Then slowly they climbed the stairs. Closer and closer they came, and soon they were at the upstairs hall. Now they were outside his door. Where's my toe? A voice groaned. His door opened, and shaking with fear, he listened as the footsteps slowly moved through the dark towards his bed. Then they stopped. Where's my toe? Parentheses. At this point, pause. Then jump at the person next to you and shout, You've got it! Me? Give me my toe. No. All right. We're hungry. We clearly bought too big of a house and we can't afford meals because if it's gone upstairs and a downstairs, they shouldn't have to split a toe three ways. They're wealthy. They're landowners. <laughs> They're farm owners. Uh, yeah, if honestly, vindictive ghost, these people are obviously starving because they just ate a garden toe. I don't know how dust bowl we are right now. This, if, yeah, just give it to him. I, I, how'd he get in the garden? Yeah, there's a whole like mobsters killed and buried somebody in the garden. Move on. Or their human language talking dog. Rinchy kinchy. Anybody dingo dingo. Uh, but the big toe has another ending. Oh, alternate ending. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's exciting. Take two. When the boy hears the voice calling for its toe, he finds a strange-looking creature up inside the chimney. The boy's so frightened that he can't move, so he just stands there and stares at it. Finally, he asks, What do you got such big eyes for? And the creature answers, To look you through and through. Why do you have such big claws for? To scratch up your grave. Fuck yeah. Why have you got such a big mouth for? To swallow you whole. What do you got such sharp teeth for? To chomp your bones! And then you pounce on one of your friends. Don't pounce on me. I'm already sitting down. I'm not moving. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, I don't know what the toe has to do with that, but I want more of whatever that creature is. Yeah. There's a couple. There's, there, you, got some, you got some boogans and goo-gahs in here. You know, if there's anything I've learned from this book is live in a house without a fireplace. Chimneys are bad. God, this is why I'm scared of fireplaces. Are you scared of fireplaces? I find them unsettling, and I'm just now oh. piecing together. Like, when I was a kid, I was always scared of the fireplace, and it's because heads come out of them, and there's monsters in them. That scratch out your grave. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Swallow you whole. And then get your friends to pounce on you. I think out of that, like, the creepiest one is just... To look you through and through. Well, I like that one. It's like, well, then then you know I'm pure enough to hold fucking Thor's hammer. Fuck off now. Chomp. But yeah, so that is... That was good. Yeah. 
This is fantastic. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the movie a great deal, and I've enjoyed nearly every story we've told. The the there's really probably not a bad one in the bunch. I think there's some that are a little bit goofy and a little bit hokey, but all in all, this is a really wonderfully curated book. Um, I think now, could could you find these in the uh, libraries of elementary schools and middle schools throughout the country in the nineties? And that's why there was such a pushback. Yes, I think like Scholastic sold them, and I nice. think I think that, as I remember, it was just the kind of thing that just it was on the shelf waiting. Like I don't remember ever being given a copy. I don't know of anybody being given a copy. It was just there. It was just over there singing to you at night. Just in wait. The dark. Yeah, you just find it on a shelf one day. And you're like, oh, fuck. I is don't this? remember bringing this home. Whoa, why is it on my coffee table now? Right, it's just, just it's here. It just keeps coming back. It's great. It's really good. I think if I were if I were to have to recommend like any any piece of pop culture like from my youth that I would consider to be integral, I think it would be this. This is probably the most if you were to distill it down to one pop culture milestone that that encapsulated who you were young this would be it i think so yeah and it's definitely the one that i would i would want other people to read and know about too oh man this just means i'm so much more nerdy than you are cuz on that uh, on that kind of framework i'd probably be like dungeons and dragons i think that that's fair too i'm not saying that this is necessarily the most important no but i mean i mean if you were to just every my love of horror my love of swords and sandals stuff it all circles back to that and it's the thing i still try to get people to get into until stranger things came along and ruined it all yeah you're done now yeah that's, that's... Now, now i don't even tell people i like it womp womp my stranger things is scary okay. stories to tell in the dark the movie but yeah, it's not yeah. bad. Yeah, all in, and you know what? All in all, I came out of the movie, and I think one of the first things I said to you was, I think that's going to traumatize a lot of kids. Yeah, you did. And I think that's good. I And I agree. Kids don't have enough trauma. I mean, you know. Not, the, the, that's, not good trauma. Exactly. There's yeah. the kind of like things that scare you, but that are fine because they're so far divorced from real life. It's not a murderer. It's not like a fucking child abductor or something yeah it's, they're trial runs to to of how to deal with stress and anxiety and how to handle it, it and, and it teaches you to 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 kind of embrace it and learn to be ready for it and then when you know two thousand people die as buildings fall you have an understanding of what fear is you have a framework if you have, yeah if you have no framework then that's all you're going to think about is in understanding that there is terror I think is important. Yeah, I, I don't know if a lot of these folk stories really get into the old fables because I'm it, I don't know if the, there's any actual morals in in most of these. I think Harold there was. I think some of them some of them definitely do. Like don't go eating toes out of your gardens. Probably just wise advice. That's good sense. Yeah, there's a number of them that are kind of veiled moral tales, but yeah, a good number of them are just scary it's just like sometimes horrifying things happen yeah i i think some of these are just actual ghost stories versus fables that were written to teach something this is just the fucked up hands and legs that come out of the ceiling from that picture yeah this jesus is... there's a lot of feet hanging in this book yes i think you can see that 
Yeah, well, the audience can't see. We're we're just paging through yeah, horror pictures right now, just, and it is chock full of them. They're they're a ton of fun, and um, God, you know, I've done this show several times before, mm-hmm. and it's usually the stories we're reading is very much like the movie riffing uh, live shows we do, where we're we're making fun of the worst things possible. Whereas this time it was delightful. I enjoyed everything we read and I want to read more of it. And um, yeah, so the, the, this was positive all across the board. Yeah, it's really, it's a nice change of pace to read something that's... Yeah, it, as long as people are dying and, and toes are being dismembered and farmers are being skinned, Mike's a happy boy. A lot of lost toes over here. So yeah, I think uh, I think with that, the campfire is burning low. Um where can people find you? Uh, check me out at ffthashow.com. They'll link you to all our live comedy shows and uh, the stuff we are up to. And, uh, you know, uh, FF the Show on Facebook and uh, Instagram as well. Cool. And you can find me on Instagram as at that Avalon. You can follow the show at Boohaha Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at boohaha pod at gmail.com boohaha at gmail.com you'll re-edit that right in properly i'll edit in the right one there at boohaha pod at gmail.com and i can just cut the pod out if i need to (laughs) or you could just re-record the words i mean that's yeah that's that's a whole lot i've got enough to splice in there and we still have to make our own Herald. Give me your skin. <laughs> You're getting ahead of the story.